We've covered a lot of ground, still really bad, uh, in, in this series. And if you can take it down just a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's good. Thank you. Uh, covered a lot of ground. And one of the things that we've done each week is I've tried to kind of give you a synonym for steadfast. And I said it's things like to become unshakable, immovable, to be faithful, to be consistent. And these are traits that across life work for good in so many different ways in our lives, in our character. If you're consistent and faithful, for example, as an employee, you're, you're going to do well, or as an employer for that matter. So it's a trait that is worth pursuing because it's kind of the key to a lot of various doors in life. But for a Christ follower, it's critical because Jesus warned that there were going to be many obstacles that could separate us from himself. Now, even though it says that, you know, once we've really trusted in him, we are his follower, nothing ultimately will separate us. There are many circumstantial things in particular that can. I want to tell you a story um, about a guy named Bobby Lanham. From 1968 until 1985, I, I, you're going to get a false impression of what I'm about to say, but I, I was technically a union carpenter. In 1968, I went into apprenticeship, four-year apprenticeship. So 68 to 85, I was a union carpenter. Now, I never really messed with wood, uh, metal studs, drywall, acoustical ceiling, stuff like this, and I was, I was terrible. I didn't have much of an aptitude for it, but I hustled. I tried to make a living. Anyway, during that era, I was working for this company, and I had a foreman. The foreman's name was Bobby Lanham, and Bobby Lanham was one of the funniest men I've ever been around in my whole life. I mean, he, he just had this bizarre sense of humor. Well, early on, you know, I'd bring, you know, Christian books and read them at lunchtime and sometimes even a Bible read. And so they caught on pretty quickly. I was a Christian. And then I had multiple conversations with the guys. And so Bobby Lanham was also quite an artist. So he would go around the building because, you know, we're just hanging the drywall fresh. It's going to be, you know, painted and all like that. He'd draw these elaborate pictures of me with my tool belt on and a Bible, you know, out like this. <laughs> And uh, just every chance he got, he was messing with me. The, the best thing, the funniest thing that he did with me, in those days I was living in D.C., so I rode the subway, and Bobby would come around periodically through the day, and he would sneak up on me, and he had this cheap perfume like little kids could buy for a dollar or something, and he would just squirt me all day long. So when I got on the subway <laughs> to go home, I'm dirty, and yet I smell like a rose, you know? <laughs> But he was uh, just a hilarious guy. Uh, now, the rest of the story, as, as Paul Harvey used to say, uh, Bobby was probably about 38, 39 years old at the time and clearly an alcoholic. And I knew a lot about his life as time went on. And he made fun of me being a Christian pretty consistently, but, but he was nice in his own way. Well, one time, Bobby and I were the only ones on the site together. Job was winding down, and we were there, and we got into this conversation that I never expected. He tells me that there was another Christian years ago that he had worked with on the job, and that Christian, like myself, had rather continuously talked to him about his relationship with Christ. And he said, Randy, he said, I did it. I, I you know, now he didn't know how to articulate it very well, but... I prayed the prayer, I became a Christian, you know, and all that kind of thing. And I'm like, whoa, what's happened since, you know? Um, he said, well, here's what happened, and I wish I could remember this detail. I swear, I think it was the very same week, but I might be wrong on that. But Bobby says he turned to Christ, and he goes home early one day from work, and you know how it ends, right? He finds his wife with another man, literally caught in the act. Um, at that point, Bobby turned completely, completely away from God and shut the door so that when I spoke to Bobby, he would explain to me this was his validation for not being open at all. If, if God, who loved him and had all this power, would let that happen to him, well, then why trust him? A little bit more details about Bobby. When Bobby was 11 years old, he shot and killed his uncle who was attacking his mother. So Bobby had it hard, and I'm sure that that's why he was an alcoholic, trying to, to bury everything that was inside of him that he couldn't resolve. And of course, sometimes we use humor as well to cover over, mask over our pain. But the point that I want you to see is this. Let's assume for one minute that when 
this Christian that was on the job spoke to Bobby that Bobby authentically uh, put his trust in Christ and yet in, in a very short time because of a circumstance he was jolted by it and he walks away and I don't know whatever happened my, my thoughts are probably that Bobby never opened himself to Christ again but I don't know that so we're going to talk about this particular subject today circumstantial dangers to steadfastness sometimes we're you know we're just going along in life and we're kind of in a routine we're in a rhythm things are going not the greatest not the you know worst but it's a routine it's a rhythm and then all of a sudden some unforeseen circumstance can hit us out of nowhere and it jolts us and suddenly we start to tend to question God um, it was an interesting thing to me that when Bobby told me that story which I'm sure was pretty humiliating for him to have to tell he never blamed his wife and he never blamed the guy that was there who knew she was a married woman he right away blamed God now you know I, I did my best to untangle it for Bobby but like I say it, it was closed at that point but we sometimes hit a circumstance it blindsided us we're, we were not prepared for it we're not prepared at all for what it suddenly does to us on the inside and then we start to we start to wobble sometimes I guarantee you almost everybody in this room has probably known someone that at one time professed to be a Christian and then they had some kind of a circumstantial upheaval it might have been let's say a, a loving old grandma that died an agonizing death to cancer and that person starts wagging their little fist and saying you know any, any God that would let my dear grandmother the most wonderful person in the world suffer like that I don't want anything to do with a God like that we probably all know of stories like that but here's the thing that I want you to, to contemplate for yourself are you sure because you must be sure I must be sure are we sure that there is no circumstance that could ever befall us in life no matter how unjust no matter how painful no matter how much long-term uh, repercussion it brings it, are we sure there is nothing that could ever befall me you in life that would ever cause me to question God that would ever cause me to waver from God because that is what a real Christian that's the kind of foundation a real Christian should have can have God's provided for now granted if, you're, if we're brand new and we're just kind of getting to know God and we don't really know his word it's easy for us to get wobbled because we are still functioning on God based on our own image let, 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 let me show you where I'm going with this. Let me ask you a question. This, this is an honest, you know, you give me your answer. If you, if you had the ability to alleviate some pain or some difficulty or some hardship or stress in the life of your child, if you, if you had the ability to alleviate it, to, you know, take it away from your child, the child that you love, can you think of any circumstance that could occur where you might deliberately choose not to take away that stress, that pain, that struggle, that difficulty? Now think about that for a minute. You love your child and you have the ability to alleviate the pain, the suffering, the difficulty. But might there be some circumstances where you would choose to watch your child suffer? you would choose to watch your child struggle you would choose to watch your child go through hardships that you could really easily alleviate now I'm going to ask you personally how many of you would sit here would say yeah I can think of some circumstances in which I would let my child suffer even though I had the power to eliminate the suffering immediately can I see your hands how many would you think there might be a sir okay okay now tuck that thought away until later on in this message we're going to start out with a parable that was kind of the heart of the, the foundation of this series this parable where Jesus talks about how, as his word goes out about him about his kingdom that people respond to it differently and about three quarters of the people that kind of take it in they end up falling away from Jesus entirely or, or never really uh, looking like they've encountered Christ 
in their, their actual lifestyle. So we're going to look at that parable. Here we go. Luke chapter 8. The parable is this. Jesus is giving the interpretation to his disciples. The parable is this. The seed is God's message or God's word. The ones along the path are those who hear, but then the adversary comes and takes the message out of their hearts in order to keep them from being saved by trusting it. It goes on. The ones on the rock are those when they hear the word, they accept it with joy, but these have no root. They go on trusting how long? For a while. But when a time of testing comes, they, what is that word? We encountered it last week apostatized and it simply means they walk away from Christ they appeared to be authentic followers of Christ but when a time of testing a time of trial a time of circumstantial upheaval when it hits them like it hit Bobby Lanham they walk away and most never come back it goes on the seeds that fell among the thorn bushes stand for those who hear but the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life crowd in and do what? Choke them. They, they just get so stretched in so many directions. There, there's so many options, there's so many things that, that there's nothing left really for God, for his kingdom. Uh, you can only do so many things. You only have so much time. You only have so much energy. The worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life crowd in and choke them and their fruit never ripens, meaning they, they never go on to grow to be Christ-like. They never go on to be those that help extend the kingdom of God by reaching out to others and serving and so forth. They, they are Christian, we might say, in name only. The seeds that fell into the good soil stand for those who hear the message and retain it in a good and obedient heart, and they persist steadfast, my, you know, I'm adding that, until they bear fruit. So this is an important part. What Jesus is calling a good heart is a heart that trusts him enough to put his word into action, to obey him, and they continue to live obedient to God's word until it starts to change them, and they start to make changes in their circle of influence. And he praises that, of course. They bear fruit. So... I want to start today by looking below. We're going, to, we're going to look below the surface of circumstantial dangers to steadfastness. In other words, why is it that we so easily get knocked off our feet by some sudden jolt of circumstances? Why are we so vulnerable to getting angry at God, uh, getting distrustful to God, walking away from God just because of an unpleasant set of circumstances. The question that I ask you, it's going to be one of the most crucial questions that we'll all answer. Is there anything that can turn you or I back away from Christ? Is there any circumstance that we could ever face? And we should be able to answer it instantly. There is nothing, nothing that can befall me. But if we can't, I'm hoping maybe we'll get on a little bit more solid ground with this message and as we go beneath. We're going to look below the surface. What causes us to be so vulnerable to falling away from Christ because of some jolt of circumstance? First of all, unrealistic expectations. Now, we all have expectations of life, of other people, of ourselves and of God we might not have thought through them clearly but we do have them for example I asked you that question earlier you know if you had the power to alleviate your child of some suffering might there be a condition that you would not do so and you said yeah there might be but when it comes to God we tend to think about God the way that Bobby Lanham did Bobby Lanham's unspoken vision or understanding of God's character was, was real simplistic and it's one that I have found again and again and again in people through the years and, and it's real simple if God loves me Randy the way you say that he loves me and he has all power then why would he ever deprive me 
of anything that I feel like I need and why would he allow me to suffer? Why would he allow me to experience injustice? Why would he allow me to you know, incur penalties and things that I don't deserve? Why would he allow me to have stress and anxiety? If he's all-powerful and he loves me, why didn't he jump in the game and do something? Can't he see that I'm ripped to shreds inside, my heart's breaking, I'm falling apart? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he do something? And then the person concludes... I would do something, so why doesn't he? And what they're doing, you might want to get that. It could be important. <laughs> it was a cheery little ring, I might say. <laughs> uh, we're taking our image, okay, and we're interpreting God in our image. Now, it sounds logical. He's almighty and he's all loving, so he should protect me constantly I, I should you know always have the ball bouncing in my direction sounds logical but it's not true it's not supported by scripture at all in other words Bobby I think was given an expectation now I, I might be wrong on this but I have a hunch that the guy that presented Christ to Bobby presented it to him in this this fashion that's so uh, typical today it's kind of like man if you turn to Christ you're going to have life like you've never had it before you're going to become who you were meant to become you're going to do what you're meant to do which is true if you persist and, and become staff and man you're going to find your destiny and you know you're going to prosper and you're going to get healthy and you're going to get healed and on and on and on you know it's this impression that if you join sides with Jesus you're never going to undergo any hardship ever again in this life. And if he's all-powerful and if he's all-loving, that seems pretty rational. Unfortunately, it's a lie. It's an unrealistic expectation. So let's look at what Jesus said again about those on the rock. Those who are on the rock are those when they hear the word, they accept it with joy, but these have no root, no deep level trust in Christ based on his character they go on trusting for a while but when a time of testing comes they apostatize so the time of testing the time of trial the time of hardship uh, jolts some away now now here's why this is a false expectation of God let's look at some portions of scripture John 16 this is the last night that Jesus was with his disciples he's within 12 hours of the cross he is trying to prepare them for what is coming. He has been trying to prepare them. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you might have many trials and sorrows. Is that what it says? Is that what Jesus said? No. Here on earth, you, what is the word? Will have a few trials and a few sorrows. <laughs> is that what it says? many now why would Jesus say something like that I mean that's downright discouraging that, that, that could make people not want to follow Jesus if that's what you get but that's what you get that, that's what Jesus promised his expectations are crystal clear for us and they're consistent throughout his word so he says, you're going to have many trials and sorrows in this life, but take heart because I've overcome the world. He's saying, you, you've got to get a vision-driven lifestyle. You've you got to look past this. You've got to know that I'm going to the cross, but I'm also going to rise from the grave. And you're going to go through the trials and the sufferings, but there's another day coming for you. Let's look at another um, kind of enforcement of this. Acts 14. So here's the apostle Paul. And he's talking to brand new people that he's, that he's just communicating with about Christ, okay? Strengthening the souls of disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. Why would you encourage them to continue unless there was a danger that they won't continue? Well, that's obvious. They told them we might go through a few troubles on our way to the kingdom of God. Is that what it said? No. How, how many knew that it doesn't? How, how many knew? No, no, Randy, that's not what it said. You, you, you twisted that around because I did. What, what it says is we, what's the word? Must go through how many? Many troubles. Pete, I don't know what's going on, man. Um, 
on our way to the kingdom of God. Listen, Paul was trying to give these early brand new followers of Christ realistic expectations. This notion that if I become a follower of Christ, he's going to always make the ball bounce, you know, in my direction. I'm always going to get the raise. I'm always going to get justice. I'm always going to be treated fairly. I'm always going to be liked and loved and accepted and respected. It's nonsense. It's not supported by Scripture at all. Now, there are people that would rather live in a fool's paradise. Tell me lies, Randy, if they make me feel good. There are people like that. You may be like that. Some of you, probably in a room this size, somebody is. In other words, there's some of us, we, we'd rather not know. No, 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 don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I just want to hear Jesus is for me and not against me, and he's, he's going to protect me. I just, I just believe that. No matter what you say, Randy, I believe that. But that's the word of God. And it's our loving God who is saying, I want you as my followers to have realistic expectations. Your journey in this world in which evil still exists for you as a follower of Christ is going to be bumpy and turbulent. So put your seatbelt on and don't be shocked when it is bumpy and turbulent, even in the worst sort of ways. That, that's the, the notion behind it. Let's look at another one. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Dear friends, don't be surprised. In other words, he's saying, just take it as the norm. Don't be surprised by the fiery troubles that's Peter's way of saying as bad as it can get martyrdom maybe that are coming in order to test you well what are they they're testing whether we authentically trust Christ or not he goes on don't feel as though something strange is happening to you meaning these fiery troubles those who suffer because that is what does it say no way man Randy you, you're trying to tell me today that it's God's will the God that loves me it's God's will for me to suffer sometimes well I don't know let's check it again <laughs> let's look those who suffer because that is what does it say God's will for them why are you can you accept that? That it might be God's will for you to suffer unjustly, very fiercely, fiery. Yes, and me too. Our God is honest with us. This world is, is it's just permeating with evil. And because of that, Jesus and his followers should expect to be, you know, considered a bit oddballs along the way that, that we're kind of going against the current and in a world where evil is existent you can be good or you can be evil you can be righteous or unrighteous you're still going to experience many troubles and so realistic expectations if, if I knowingly or unknowingly have unrealistic expectations when a circumstantial uh, danger hits me when a set of circumstances hits me I'm liable to bolt from Jesus because I'm going to use that calculation oh if he loves me and if he's almighty I should never be in this condition I should never be enduring this but that's false and, and I want to make a point here because I've encountered the, these conversations for f nearly 40 years with Christians and it's because don't get insulted don't get mad at me but I'm just going to say this it is because we don't know the scripture if you're sitting there and all you know of the scripture is what you get from me on a Sunday morning, I am blessed to, to be able to handle it and hand it to you as accurate as I can, but it is not enough. If you are ignorant of the word of God, you're going to get blasted someday and you're not going to understand what's going on. I had a conversation recently with somebody about younger adults and how younger adults uh, tend to struggle with prayer. And it's kind of like this. They pray, and then they often don't get what they prayed for, and then they go through that syndrome where, oh, you know, if God's there, he doesn't care, or he must not love me. And, and, and what you find is that they don't even understand what prayer is. They think that prayer is a means to get whatever you want, whenever you want it, how you want it. They don't look at Scripture. Scripture's got principles and rules and boundaries of what we can pray for and expect to receive, 
And when you ask for something that God's never promised, in fact, in many cases, when we ask for things that God says no to, but we don't know that he says no because we don't know his word, then we get disgruntled with God because of our ignorance. Time, time, time is, is critical, folks. You're going to give your life to something. You're, you're going to give your time to something. I'm going to challenge you this year. Give your time this year. At least saturate your soul with the New Testament. You've got to know it for yourself. Uh, as much as I deeply appreciate you allowing me to, to teach you and lead you, I want more for you than that. I don't, I don't want you to be completely dependent upon me. I want you to know the Word of God for yourself. Anyway, those who suffer because that is God's will for them. It's sometimes God's will that I suffer. And it's going to be sometimes God's will that you suffer. It doesn't mean that he's angry at us. It doesn't mean that he's forgotten us. It doesn't mean that we don't, we don't have the faith. It doesn't mean that our microphone's explosive. <laughs> is, is it time? Okay, it's time. Uh, okay, so I'm on. All right, let me, let me go on to the next. So unrealistic expectations. If I could go to the next slide, please. Unrealistic expectations come from. Where do, they come? where do these unrealistic expectations come from? Well, I've kind of already told you, but let me go again. Inaccurate interpretation of God's love. If I don't get from God the circumstances that I think he should give me, I start saying he must not love me. Now, now you, if you don't hear anything else in the message, hear what I'm about to say to you. There's only one place that you and I can go to affirm God's love for us, the place that he himself gave for us to go to, and that is his sacrificial love demonstrated in Christ on the cross. When I see Christ on the cross dying for me, dying to regain my trust, dying to draw me back, suffering in agony that he did not deserve, that is where I measure God's love for me. I do not measure God's love by what's going on in my life because I'm warned in scripture that this life is going to be a bumpy ride. We have to go to the place where God's love is displayed. That's on the cross. And then we have to go to the place where God's love is declared. That's in his word. We don't measure God's love by what my circumstances are like, whether they're good or, or not good. Critical you get that one. That's where we measure God's love. All right, let's go on. Now, the next thing that creates our vulnerability to circumstantial uh, dangers are insufficient precautions. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Randy doesn't know that the word is insufficient. How, how, many, how many of you had it run through your head? You're an English person, and you would have been derailed for the rest of the message. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you two things that you may not have known. There is a word, insufficient. It's, it's a legitimate word. And it does mean insufficient. So I could have used either of those. But now I'm going to tell you a second thing that you probably didn't know. I had to get that UN in there. I, I had unrealistic expectations, so it couldn't be insufficient precautions. It had to be insufficient, or my brain would have been restless. <laughs> so Luke 8 gives us this um, condition of being uh, unsufficiently or insufficiently precautious. He talks about, remember, the seeds that fall among the thorns? Uh, they stand for those who hear, but the worries, meaning the worries of this life, and riches and pleasures of this life crowd in and choke them, and their fruit never ripens. Now, I guarantee you some of us, if not many of us, know people that were once, let's say, um, very obviously active followers of Christ and they were serving God in various ways and then you know they just they just started living the good life because they could and and they slowly but surely detached more and more and more from their involvement with God until finally it, it, it didn't exist and finally their personal relationship with Christ was nothing more than a faded memory and they still identify as a Christian but they have no vital day-to-day -day relationship with him. Well, well it happens slowly. It, it, it happens without them understanding. It's gradual. It, it's a slow pull away from God until there's nothing much left in us, no energy uh, for God because we get so caught up with these things. And I think in our um, culture that we live in today, we're, we're probably in more danger than ever to do that. Uh, 
So unsufficient precautions. Let's look at a couple passages that kind of support this. First Peter 5, it says, Be watchful and control yourselves. Your enemy, the devil, is like a roaring lion. He prowls around looking for someone to swallow up or devour. It's saying that, that we're, we're in a situation here on earth where evil is existent and there are evil entities that really want to target and destroy those that are either drawing close to Christ or identify with him. And if we show weaknesses, we start getting caught up in the good life or we just start drifting, you know, because we're, we're worried about everything or we're, we're getting a hold of some money and that's kind of thrilling us, whatever it might be. Well, these dark entities see this and they'll just keep helping us drift a little further. Now, let's get real personal about this because right now in this room, I guarantee you, there's more than one person you're in this passage of Scripture. Satan's got his eyes on you and he sees you've drifted far enough out to sea. You ever watch those people at the beach that fall asleep on the rafts? And, and you can just see them. They're, they're closer and closer to England. You know, you're wondering, when, when is this going to end? <laughs> be watchful. Just like I have to be watchful and we all have to be watchful. It, it's calling for a humble vigilance. It's this awareness that I'm vulnerable. I, I'm weak. I can be tricked. I can be pulled away. And so can you. And so I've got to be watchful of myself. It's a humble vigilance that's called for. One more that just kind of reinforces this. First Corinthians 10. It says, therefore, let the one who thinks he stands, watch out. That's the person that's confident. You know, I'm, I'll never, you know, walk away from Christ and say, watch out. If you're thinking that way, you're already more vulnerable than you know. Watch out that he does not fall. So I have to stay humble, but I have to stay vigilant. I remember years ago, I went for a checkup, and I had never had them ask me this question before. I probably shared this with you before. They said, uh, have you fallen many times lately this year, sir? And I said, fallen? I'm looking at them like, look at me, man. I'm athletic. What are you talking about? Fallen. No, I haven't fallen. From that day on, I have fallen upstairs. I have fallen <laughs> downstairs. I have fallen on ice, I have fallen on green grass, I have fallen, I kid you not, off of ladders two times. I mean, it's like somebody got a little doll after I, they must say, oh, he's a smart aleck. Let me get a little doll and tie the, the shoestrings together on him and poke it a few times. <laughs> but it's a humble vigilance that is critical because we all can fall. All right. Let's go to the other side of this. So, so we look below the surface at the causes that make us so vulnerable to being jolted by circumstances. Uh, you know, if we're not humble and vigilant, you know, we're vulnerable. Let's look at it differently now. Living above the turbulence of circumstantial dangers. We, we've probably all flown on a plane and had experience. I remember the first time I did. I don't like flying, man, because, you know, you don't have your hands on the wheel. You can't go in reverse. You can't stop. You've got to just keep going forward. I can't fly under my own power. Um, so I don't like to fly, but I remember the first time I flew, and um, it was not the first time that I flew that this occurred, but, but when I flew one time, it was like thick cloud cover, you know, like drizzly rain kind of stuff. How many have been, been in that? You know, your plane takes off, cloud cover, through, and then all of a sudden, you break through the clouds, and the sun is there. And, and that freaked me out. I should have known. I mean, but we, we say things like, well, the sun's not out today. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's just cl cloudy. You can't see it. It's there. And, and so as Christians, we are urged to live a vision-driven life. I, I must take the truths that God says about eternity and about heaven, and, and I must fixate those in my mind, and they become the vision that drives my life. This is how we can overcome this uh, propensity, you know, to be jolted by circumstances and to drift away. So let's look at how we can live above the turbulence. Uh, first of all, we need to recognize the potential of hardships, of trials, of sufferings. Instead of looking at them as the worst thing that could possibly happen, God wants us to have a different vision of them. He wants us to recognize that the trials have tremendous potential for something we actually desire. If, if we're real followers of Christ, we've all at some time or another, we, we prayed prayers like, oh God, I, 
I just so want to grow. I so want to be more like you, Lord Jesus. I want, I want to think the way you think. I want to feel the way you feel. I want to live the way you live. I want to grow. I, I want to become like you. So we pray those prayers, and we expect maybe to wake up the next day and say, geez, suddenly I'm thinking like Jesus all the time. And, but it's not the way it works. And when we take scripture and we're obedient to it and we're consistent, we do grow, we do develop, but then some of you know we hit a ceiling. We, we have some stuff inside that we just can't change in that strictly you know, cognitive manner. So, so how does God help us? How does he, how does he accompany us to move, move past these ceilings where we, we seem to be stuck? And one of the ways that he gives us leaps forward in spiritual development Christ-like character development is through trials. James says this, he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, meaning they can come in all shapes and forms. For you know that the testing of your faith, every time we go through a trial, we're tempted to respond the way God would want us to or to respond in a sinful fashion, a selfish fashion, to escape them. For you know that the testing of your faith produces what? What's that good word? Steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect. And that word there, it's teleos. It, it, it just means mature, grown up, Christ-like. doesn't mean, you know, that we're going to be sinless, perfect immediately, and complete, lacking nothing. So these trials, James says, they create a context. They're, they're like God's gymnasium for the spirit and the soul. We hate them. They feel awful. But if you go through them and stay faithful to God, some of you know this by experience. You come out on the other side and you are not the same. Some of us, um, myself, for example, uh, when I came to the realization that God expected me to be tenderhearted and compassionate as being a part of my, my development to be Christ-like, I was like, oh, man, I want that, but I don't know how to do that. And, and so, you know, I started trying to do tenderhearted things, compassionate things, but, but it was, something was missing. I didn't feel it. Then I went through some trials and some brokenness. And all of a sudden, I came out with a, a, a greatly enlarged capacity to feel and to understand and to care and to have grace for people and to have empathy for people. Well, well that, was, that was quick steps of growth. Most growth is really slow. It was the trial that was the, the context that allowed for quick development. God works in us if we're faithful to him during trial. Let's look at this same principle again. Hebrews chapter 2, or chapter 12, I love this one. It says, endure, what, what is that word? Suffering. suffering. Generalized suffering. There's all different kinds, mental, emotional, physical, financial, you know, relational. It's all different kinds. Endure suffering as what? Discipline. Now, that's an interesting word there. Uh, the Greek word that's used in the New Testament there, it's peduo, and, and we get our word pedagogy from it. It's not discipline like I'm going to take you out behind the shed and whip you, which is the way many Christians depict it, unfortunately. It's not what that word means. It's more like you're in training and your trainer is putting you through a difficult regimen, a painful regimen, but it is to build you up. So when we are going through these trials, instead of revolting against God or thinking that he, that he doesn't love us, it should be just the opposite. It should be that he loves me so much He's fathering me. He's fathering me individually. He, he's taking time to deal with things in me that I'm not aware of or I don't know how to deal with. And even though it's painful, I'm glad it's his hand. And, and, and I know he's going to bring something good out of it. Here's the thing you have to tuck away. God cares so much for you and all of us that he cares more about our character than he does our immediate comfort. He will allow us often to be very, very uncomfortable because he's trying to produce character that will be stable and steadfast and Christ-like. And there's sometimes no other way to do that but this enduring suffering. So God is saying here, anytime we encounter suffering of any kind, he says, just mark it in your mind, the Father's going to use this to train you, to build you up, to uh, do something in your character that couldn't be done in another way. God is dealing with you as sons. Is there a son whose father does not discipline him? No. 
um, well, excuse me, no discipline seems, what is the word? Pleasant when it's happening, but what? Painful. Tuck that away. Yet later, it yields a peaceful harvest of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And the Father's discipline, which we experience as sufferings of various sort, if we stay faithful to him, we'll come out on the other side, different people, very different people, far more Christ-like. We'll, we'll go past that ceiling where we were stuck, and the context that God allows for us to go through will catapult us to a new level of growth. I, I, I promise you that, that one is true. Let me share this with you. God is doing something. He, he's immunizing us from the temptation by allowing us to live in evil and endure suffering, just and unjust. God is immunizing us from the temptation to ever distrust and disobey him by revealing, first of all, he's, doing, he's immunizing us by revealing his trustworthiness, but that's not all, and allowing us to thoroughly experience what? I don't know if you ever thought it through or not. I've shared it in here before, but evil started in heaven's perfection, in the very presence of God, where everybody was doing God's will all the time. It, it, was, it was perfection, and that's where evil started. Um, it started amongst holy beings, holy angelic beings, Lucifer being the chief. And, and so the question becomes, if, if evil could start in a, in a pristine, holy, perfect environment with God present, what is to say that it wouldn't be able to happen again uh, after the return of Christ and after the millennium, his thousand-year reign, and after the creation of the new heaven and the new earth? Who is to say that sin couldn't happen again? If it happened in heaven in the past in a perfect environment, why couldn't it happen again? Well, here's the answer. God allowed evil, and I'll share this with you. God is allowing evil for a little while, so that he can do what? Abolish it forever. You see, those angels that live in heaven's perfection, they had never seen evil before. They didn't know its repercussions. They, they had no concept. It was impossible for them. They're finite like us. They're learning as they go. But we now have lived evil. We've experienced it. We've experienced it doing it. We've experienced it having it done to us. We've experienced living in a world where you can't ever quite be without fear unless you're foolish because it's the laws of vigilance. And, and so we, we've seen it up close and personal, and this is going to immunize us from ever being tempted in the future, in the eternal future, to distrust or disobey God. So he, he's doing a good thing even by the allowance uh, of evil. He, he's going to be able finally to abolish it forever. Let's go on to a second part of this. So... How do we deal with this then? Okay, so, so how do we stop from some terrible circumstance jolting us so badly that we start to question God or we start to get angry at God? I mean, how do we do this? Remember I said we need to learn how to have a, a vision-driven life. We need to see what we can't see with our physical eyes and live by what we can't see with our physical eyes. And we will then be able to fly above the turbulence of any kind of circumstance that hits us. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, it says, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory. Now, now what did he call these? These little troubles. <laughs> Read 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime, verse 23 through about, I don't know, 34 or so. And the apostle Paul, after only following Jesus for 20 years, he gives a list of the things that he had went through. And if they're little, um, that's... Then, the, the weirdest understatement ever, and he had another 10 years or more to go. But he says, these little troubles are getting us ready for an eternal glory. They're, they're, they're preparing us, and they'll make all our troubles seem like what? Every lady that has had a baby in this room understands this. Right? Right? Now, I'm being presumptuous here. <laughs> I'm going to say something. Don't get angry and kill me and drag me off the stage. <laughs> but when you get pregnant, you know you're going to face labor. And you know it's going to be extraordinarily painful. And then when, of course, you're in the labor, uh, the pain, I, I'm told, is 
you know, just about beyond bearing. But here's where I get presumptuous. As soon as that baby's born and that baby's in your arms, it seems like you look at that pain and labor like it was nothing for the joy of seeing that new life that's been entrusted to you by God. Am I right, ladies? Am I right on that? I'm not, so I'm not being crazy presumptuous here. Okay. <laughs> that's what he's saying. He's just saying that, that yes, we're going to go through trouble here. Expect it. Doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Doesn't mean the God's not with us. But it doesn't compare. And once it's over, and life is like this if you think about it. We live in the minute in a lot of ways. Once we get past something, unless we determine to live in the past, we're over it. And we're, we're, we've, we can feel different instantly as you know, things change for us. And that's what he's saying here. The things that are seen, they don't last forever. But the things that are not seen are eternal. We know this even on, you know, kind of a, a physics level. This is why we keep our minds on the things that cannot be seen. Vision-driven living. We can't see heaven. We can't see eternity. We can't see life after death. But we see Jesus and the compelling evidence of his own resurrection. We, we see others that followed him, that experienced heaven themselves, and we live based on that promise of truth that the Spirit of God affirms in any heart that's open to the truth. But we have to keep that vision, and that is not easy because we get so engulfed in the world and our responsibilities, and, and when something hits us, it hits us. We, we can't filter it out. And so that's when we ha have to stop and kind of recalibrate and say, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yes, this is awful. This is, this is a trial. This is, a, this is a, you know, suffering for sure. But I know this is little compared to what awaits me. And I'll get through this, and God will be with me in the midst of it. And he will never leave me and never forsake me. So I'm going to learn through this, and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to cling to him, and I'm going to honor him in the midst of this trial. That's, that's that vision-driven living. We have to see with our spirits the unseen. First Peter adds to it, chapter 5, he says, And the God of all grace, now here's the promise, the steadfast promise, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have, what does it say? Suffered a little while. That's trying to tell the followers of Jesus we're all going to suffer some. I hope by now we've read enough scripture together this morning that, that we know that and we'll have realistic expectations. After we've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and then that great last word, what? Steadfast. So God's got good intentions even in the worst circumstance. We, we as Christians, we have meaning in every single event in life. The good, the bad, the mediocre, there's meaning every day. There's opportunity for meaning each and every day. I'm going to close with a few thoughts. I wonder, I wonder if the individual that talked to Bobby Lanham about Christ, I, I wonder if it might have been different if he would have told Bobby, you know, Bobby, look, you have to understand something. Even though God's for you and he's with you and he forgives your sins and he's given you everlasting life and he's going to mold you and shape you, you know, as you cooperate with his will and his word. But Bobby, you need to understand, you're going to go through hardships because we as the followers of God are warned and, and tooled and armed by God in advance to expect problems, to expect sufferings, to expect hardships. And they don't mean that God's not with us and they don't mean that God doesn't love us. In fact, it means just the opposite. He is with us. He does love us. He's molding us. He's shaping us. He's equipping us through these things. I, I wonder... If that Christian would have said that, would it have maybe made a difference? It might not have. But it'll make a difference if you and I do in the people that we talk to. Let, let's not promise more than God himself promises. I've heard Christians do that. Oh, turn to Jesus, man, and your life's just going to get perfect. It's going to get on this new track. Everything's going to be wonderful. You know, it's going to be the most exciting ride for your life. <laughs> yeah, but there's more to the story. And we have to be honest with people. Uh, Jesus was quite honest with his followers. So maybe that's the first question. When we present Christ to someone, are, are we giving them a balanced gospel message? That's question one. Question two, I want to go back to what I said. Is there, is there any circumstance 
that could befall us in life and I have to be able to answer that for myself and you have to be able to answer for yourself is there anything that could happen to you that could shake your trust in Christ because there should not be the cross is where we have the eternal evidence of God's steadfast sacrificial never failing love for us it is not in our circumstances and if the dark forces if Satan can get us looking at our circumstances instead of looking at the cross as the place for evidence of God's love we'll be deceived and we'll end up getting angry at God confused about you know who he is and how he operates and we'll likely drift away so are you sure this morning I mean I won't ask you to do this but if I ask you to raise your hand and say Randy I don't care what happens I don't care what I have to suffer I don't care what God takes from me or what life takes from me or what life gives to me there is nothing nothing that will ever shake my devotion to Christ nothing I hope I hope each and every one of you in your heart are saying amen to that that's me Randy that's me because it should be all that have authentically trusted in Christ so as we finish this series steadfast I came into this series with a great concern that we're living at the end of the age and we are going to be tested very very thoroughly more so than any generation that's ever been tested I shared that last week there's going to be miraculous signs and wonders and false Christs appearing and tribulation globally on a scale that no one has ever seen before we are likely to live through that and the challenge to remaining steadfast it, it, it has to start now we have to start kind of stealing ourselves up now and saying I know what's likely to come and I'm prepared I'm going to trust Christ I'm going to cling to him the worse he gets the more I'm going to push myself toward him and nothing will separate me from him I hope I hope the series has stirred that kind of ferocity in each of our hearts to cling to Christ and remain obedient to him no matter what the cost let's pray our Father and our God, we, we thank you again for the treasure that is your word. Thank you that we don't have to wonder about the way you think, what your plans, what your purposes are. You have made yourself known fully to us. And we just pray that your spirit will, will stir us right now to uh, check our own souls and be sure that there's no circumstance that could ever cause us to doubt you. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be strong. Help us to be bold in sharing a balanced message with others. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.